We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to the Sooner Sports Podcast, presented by Riverwind and Allstate. Now, here's your host, Chris Plank. All right, welcome into a Wednesday edition of the Game Plan, typically on a Tuesday, but we've shifted to Wednesday the last few weeks just out of pure luck um, because of baseball schedules and softball schedules, and then, of course, Coach Cole's retirement. And then I almost felt like we needed an emergency pod over the weekend, Toby, but Lon Kruger announces his retirement. I don't know if there was many people that were there for uh, – Every single moment of the Lon Kruger era like you were. Well, Mike Shepard, maybe. Shep was. Um, but can you can you take us through the emotions and kind of what the, the moments was like whenever you'd heard from Coach that he was stepping down? Yeah, I mean, it's been a uh, it's been a sad week, you know. I mean, I uh, uh, Sherry Cole and Lon Kruger within a week of each other is a lot to take in. And right. uh, those are the only two basketball coaches I've ever worked with. And uh, I, I, uh, I told them both, I mean, you got to give me a heads up about this. You can't just, I mean, you got to give me a few months to let me mentally prepare myself for the fact that you guys are walking away here. So, uh, it's a lot, it's, uh, I'm going to miss, you know, we talked about Sherry, but I'm, I'm going to miss uh, coach Kruger like crazy. And I can't say anything that hasn't already been said except to just, um, uh, add my voice to the throngs out there who have talked about what a great human being he is. And we are very lucky that we got him for a decade at the University of Oklahoma. Uh, he's a great coach. He's a Hall of Fame coach. Uh, but, I mean, I can testify to the fact that he is one of the most generous, kind-hearted, and this goes for Barb, too, his wife, people that I've ever been around. And for a person of his stature, to think of others so frequently the way he does, you know, checking on you if you're not feeling well, uh, uh, all kinds of different situations through the years that he and Barb have reached out to our family, 
not basketball related, just out of the kindness of their heart. And um, so I don't know what to say other than that I'm sad. I'm excited to see who's next, but I'm sad that Lon Kruger is not is not going to be uh, as big of a part of our lives anyway. And You know, I was trying to do the math on it driving home last night. Uh, 30 games a year, roughly. A little more, a little less, but roughly 30 games a year. If you do a pregame and a postgame interview for each game, that's 60 times 10 years is 600 interviews. Wow. If you add in, you know, Rudy shows, radio shows, caravans, banquets, all that kind of stuff. I mean, we're probably in the neighborhood of a thousand interviews or so uh, over the last 10 years. And so... I'm sure he's sick of me asking him questions because the vast majority of those questions were not any good in those interviews we did. But he was um, uh, always he he never, ever, ever in 10 years, pregame, postgame, any day ever made it seem like it was a bother to have a microphone put in his face. So, um we're, lu- we're lucky. We're lucky. Joe did great to come be a part of the Sooner family for a decade. So with uh, with that in mind, it, it goes deeper than just a coach. Both your sons were on his, I say staff, they were working as, as student managers. Peyton um, still has what, Peyton still has a couple years of eligibility left if necessary, but I love the story you told about whenever you underwent back surgery and it took you out for a little bit and you're, you're, you're settling in to – I think it was the Baylor game that you're getting ready to watch, and lo and behold, your phone rings, and moments before tip-off is just Coach checking on you. Coach Kruger called to check on you. How, it kind of speaks to the kind of person he is, doesn't it? Yeah, it was stunning. I, well, I mean, yeah, it, it was Bedlam last year. Bedlam, okay. In Stillwater, and I had had surgery on Friday, and the game was on Saturday, and so I, uh, I had been released from the hospital, and was, you know, still in post-surgery mode, and I was kind of getting situated on the couch, which wasn't necessarily an easy thing to do, but I was excited to watch the game. The Bedlam was getting ready to start. And uh, I was, you know, I'm not there, I'm, I'm, uh, but my phone rings. It's literally 30 minutes before tip-off, and it's Lon <laughs> Kruger. And um, he's in the locker room, and he calls just to see how I'm feeling. 30 minutes before bedlam. And I was like, coach, what are you doing? You've got, you, you got the Cowboys today. Worry about me later. That's uh, but I mean, you know, even the day he, even the day his retirement was put out, he called uh, about noon that day, just to, you know, let us know that it was happening and how much he appreciated working with us and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, who does that? You know, that's a first, that's a first, uh, no, Nobody's ever reached out to say, hey, just wanted you guys to know before anybody else that that this is going down. And so he's just different, Chris. He's just a different yeah. human being. And I'm looking for we're going to talk tomorrow, Coach and I, for a podcast that's coming out on Down the Line. Oh, and I want to get into some of that. You know, I mean, why are you the way you are? I'm fascinated <laughs> by Lon Kruger, the man. And now that the 10 years are done. And he's moving on. Maybe maybe he'll talk to us a little bit about exactly why he goes about the business in the manner he does because it's different than anybody I've ever been there. 
you, you had a, a fascinating conversation with him on your radio show this morning, and I, I, I don't pretend to be the most technically uh, X and O adept guy to talk basketball, but I found it fascinating when he was talking about the NBA, you know, and how much he learned from that with the Atlanta Hawks and how, you know, it, I don't want to say that he said necessarily it changed him, but it adapted things that he did a bit. I thought that was fascinating, Toby. I can't, I can't wait for this full conversation between you guys coming up over the next few weeks. It's going to be a blast. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, it too. And uh, we talked a lot of basketball on the show this morning and, and going to try to make it even a little more personal uh, when we chat tomorrow. So Great. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And he's, had some very interesting things to say since his retirement about about the NBA, about uh, the NCAA, and some changes that he thinks needs to happen in the NCAA, especially in the sport of college basketball. So, um, yeah, fascinating, fascinating man. And, and I, also his wife, Barb, just think the world of Barb and the good she's done in the Norman community the last decade couple uh, more things to get into. Well, there's a good tease, by the way, from T-Row. Coming up over the next few days, be looking for an in-depth conversation between Toby and Lon. I think we're doing the old uh, tag team routine here. You'll see it on Sooner Sports TV. Actually, like the three six-man tag. Uh, you'll have Sooner Sports TV, Soonersports.com, and, of course, right here on the podcast. Uh, you had an interesting night last night. Let's, let's talk about kind of the pregame. Uh, A.J. Ferrari trying to flex on you. I'm, I'm surprised you didn't have to go down out of the booth yeah. and take care of him. Uh, but what about Obrey Stadium? What would you think about your first experience there in Stillwater? I thought it was pretty bold of Ferrari to show up in the same building I was in. He's lucky there were a few steps between us or I would have taken him. Uh, Obrey Stadium was really well done. I think it's a great addition to the Big 12 Conference. It is a – it was much needed – in Stillwater, Ali P. Yeah. Reynolds Stadium had a, a lot of uh, history, but it was old and it it was uh, run down and rusty and and uh, that program needed an upgrade and the Big Twelve deserved for that program to have an upgrade and uh, it, they did a really nice job and that there are some things you know both the OU baseball and softball programs are in the uh, fundraising stage for turning dirt on renovations and new stadiums and things like that in, in the hopefully near future. And it's uh, always, in, you know, it's interesting when you're in the phase that we're in right now, you, you think differently when you go to other stadiums, new or otherwise, you know, you're yeah. always like, Hey, this is cool. We should do this. Or right. I like the way they did that. Or I don't like the way they did that. So it was kind of a fact gathering mission too, I think for a lot of, uh, of uh, OU athletic department personnel who got their first look at O'Braid Stadium last night. But they did some cool things with the fans that I think maybe OU may be able to incorporate. But most importantly, you know, this conference as a baseball conference is big time. And we talk a lot about football and basketball. But as a baseball conference, the tradition of the schools in the state of Texas, of OU and OSU, is a proud Omaha College World Series National Championship tradition. And they have been lagging behind significantly their brothers in the SEC in um, uh, stadiums and and just, you know, the ability to for the fan experience and the student athlete experience. And that is slowly changing. You, you've seen 
in the last several years, but significant upgrades to Texas Tech and Baylor and even Texas as a huge stadium, but they've upgraded it. Uh, and now Oklahoma State has a fabulous brand new stadium. So I'm excited for Oklahoma in the next few years to kind of join that as well. I love the plans that OU has. Me I think too. it's going to be very cool, and it's going to be a great ex- fan experience, student athlete experience, uh, fraternity, sorority experience, all that kind of stuff is going to be very neat. So, uh, And I know you feel the way about you, – you could speak much better about what's headed our way for softball, but I know you feel the same about them as well. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned it because in a lot of the conversations I have, it is focused on the future of Patty Gasso Stadium, you know, right there on the corner of what Jenkins and Constitution. But, Toby, I, I'll, whenever I run into the great Greg Tipton, it's, it's, I'm, I'm reminded that these plans for baseball, you know, when we get going to turn in dirt, it's going to look pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, the, the, and, and I know that things are constantly evolving, but – yeah, I, I'm really excited for the future facility-wise. By the way, one quick note. We got JT Gasso coming up later on in the podcast, so there's your softball for today. Uh, NCAAs coming up for women's gymnastics, KJ Kindler later. But, uh, Toby, before we do sign off beyond O'Brate Stadium, overall Oklahoma baseball, I thought they uh, got a couple of uh, good performances in a, on the bump last night. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't go their way. But, I mean, I listen, I'm not about moral victories, but – Starting to see some guys step up on the mound, and that's what this team's going to need as we get into the heart and teeth of conference play, right? Yeah, no, that's right. It's a it's an important time right now, I think, for this for this season. We are approaching the midway point. I think within the next week we will cross over from the first half to the second half of the season, and uh, they're at thirteen and uh, eleven right now. And the last couple of weeks have been interesting and odd. They've got two great wins. They've got two. True road wins over top five teams, which is as valuable as it gets. They beat number one Arkansas on the road. They beat number five Texas on the road. That's huge. But they've they've lost every other game they've played. Um, right. You know, four of the last five. So the the Bedlam game Tuesday night hurts because it felt like they were the better team that night. Uh, they they left sixteen men on base. Uh, they had multiple opportunities to get the go-ahead run home in the late innings with a guy at third and nobody out or one out. Just couldn't come through. So I think the pitching is headed in a very positive direction. That's what we were worried about for the first, you know, 15, 20 games of the season or so. The starting pitching, the bullpen has been very good the last couple of weeks. And even again last night, Carson Carter was lights out of the bullpen. Ben Abram looked as good as he's looked all year. Uh, so the, the issue right now is more offensive execution. They're still getting a lot of hits. They're still drawing a lot of walks. But the little things that win baseball games, like getting a runner from second to third with nobody out, getting a runner home from third with less than two outs, bunting a guy up, you know, getting the sack fly, all that run, get, getting a bunt down, all those little things that equal runs – you know, not the home runs, not the big, play, but the little things. They're not doing those great right now. So they gotta got to tighten that up. Uh, they've got a big conference series this weekend against TCU at home. In fact, the next two conference series are at home, TCU and Kansas. TCU's undefeated. 
in uh, Big 12 play, 3-0. and They just had one series sweep. Uh, but they're good. They're highly ranked as well. So an opportunity for some more resume-building wins. But as they enter here into the second half of the season, they are not where you want to be RPI-wise. They're down in the 80s right now. So uh, the opportunities there with the teams they're going to play the rest of the way to get that plenty you know, up where you want to be in, in a good at-large range for the NCAA tournament. But you got to go win the games, you know. You just you can't just get close and say, ah, oh, we should have won that one. They got to go get some of these wins that are slipping out of their hands right now. I want to wrap up with a little promo on Thursday night. I have softball. You've got the huddle. And if you haven't taken the time to to download or listen to the huddle, it is it is must-listen radio. And I'm telling you what, t as we sit here and talk, I just wrapped up the conversations for Thursday night. It's inside backer talk. Oh, boy. Your co-host specialty. <laughs> I talked for 10 minutes with Brian Odom. I talked for 10 minutes with Brian Osamoa. There's nine guys in that inside backer room. Think about that for a moment. Wow. And if you, if you haven't taken the – even when, when Trey does it, when Chad does it, whatever my – this show is a must-listen-to for football fans because I feel like we're learning something every single episode, aren't we? Yeah, the, uh, the off-season here has been, has been very interesting because uh, especially Teddy and Trey's segments where they kind of go inside football on us is really school in session time for uh, us novices, us amateurs, uh, because uh, Teddy is, is going deep into – Strategery, as they say. <laughs> oh, I've loved it. No, I've loved it. It's, it's been, great. been great, and I look forward to. I, they don't need me if we're talking inside backers Thursday night. I don't even need to be there. Teddy can host the whole show, so <laughs> I'm just going to get out of his way and let him go. Have a great rest of your week, Toby. Can't wait for the lawn one-on-one, and uh, have a good call this weekend against TCU. All right, you too, bud. Thanks. Happy Easter, everybody. All right, thanks to Toby for hanging out with us as he does every single, well, typically this drops on a Tuesday, but a late Wednesday. Uh, For some of you, hopefully on your Thursday commute, thanks to T-Row. I'd be looking maybe Monday or or Tuesday for that in-depth with Lon Kruger. Cannot wait to listen to Toby and Coach talk hoops and his legacy at Oklahoma. In the meantime, I'm getting ready for a big softball series this weekend. Oklahoma's got Kansas, a unique Thursday. Friday, Saturday set for the Oklahoma Sooners with Easter on Sunday. Caught up with J.T. Gasso here on the Sooner Sports Podcast. Uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I know this is probably an easy question for you to say no, but anything change much in the preparation, uh, Does especially with the road trip to Ames? Is, does it accelerate anything, change the plan at all? Uh, I mean, a little bit. We just usually you get that, that Thursday of extra just – you know, video or extra prep. Um, I mean, lately on the road, it's just been that extra day of just, all right, let's get settled. Let's hit a little bit, move around, and then we can kind of talk about what we're going to see that weekend. But, um, but yeah, so we really, we, we kind of sent out video um, yesterday so they can kind of watch some stuff on their own. And then we'll do a lot more of that today um, going into Thursday. This uh, the thing that that has really caught my eye, JT. Well, obviously, incredible numbers and kudos, and I know you will not take any credit for it at all. But every single one of these hitters, from not just the top four or five to whomever you call upon off the bench, they seem really hungry to try to go out and I don't want to say one up the other player, but continue to to pass that torch. 
I know we've had great players here before, but have you ever had a, a lineup that seems to complement each other so well and then that same vein just really seemed to be, I don't know, driven to try to to be better than the player before them and then be better before the player before that? I mean, this this really seems to be a motivated group. Yeah, and and I think just with the amount of players that we had, because, um, you know, in the, in the past we've had players that we've tried to – like um, just maximize what they can do. Like the Kylie Lumberg. Like, hey, right. and this here's a great matchup for you. That throw strikes early. If they they like to throw fastballs or rise balls, and like you know, like set up some of those matchups. Um, but it was maybe one, one to three of those people. Now we have you know five, and it's you can tinker around with. You can see what a matchup's like, um, game one, and then readjust come game three, which is kind of like what we did. So we saw lefties were having some struggles, and we made it a right-handed heavy lineup, and it worked out. So that's what's great is, is having everyone just being prepared, being ready to go in and do their thing. And I guess maybe a, a dumb question off that is, do, do the players get that? For instance, does McKenzie Donahue know that a certain type of pitcher that that specializes maybe in a certain location or even a righty versus lefty, that's probably going to be a spot where she'll get the call as opposed to, say, maybe a gray screen or a, a Riley Boone. Do they kind of get that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And we've talked about that a lot in the fall. Um, one of the things that I know um, we've talked about is everyone kind of has their superpower. Everyone has the thing that they're really, really good at. Right. And if it lines up, and you do your thing. You don't have to do go outside of what you're doing. So we're trying to put people to where they can just use their strengths and not have to go outside of that. So um, we've been fortunate this year, and uh, I know the the players are are just loving competing. So much of the preseason is playing well, and this is I think we only had one or two series this year where you had five games in three days, but that seems to kind of typify so much of the non-conference and the early season in softball. So, JT, is there a certain sense of, I don't want to say exhale, but when you get to where it's one game a day, and we had that with, with Team Mexico to kind of prepare for the weekend, how much shifts in general as far as that's concerned, at least with preparation um, and how you approach it? You know what? I I don't know. I don't know because – um, one of the things that, that we're kind of lucky to have is just with the, a lot of veterans on the team who have been to the World Series. So they know what the end is going to be like. You know, it's, it's one of the things where, you know, maybe you can kind of take a breath, but come the end uh, or come May when you get into postseason play, even big, uh, big 12 tournament play, you're playing a game a day and, or you're playing every day for uh, three three days, four days, you know, whatever it is. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think they know what's coming, and they're just, you know, taking it in stride and not really letting up or not saying that you're insinuating that, but you kind of no. know what I mean is right. we're taking it, you know, day by day. So. Yeah, and, and maybe I should have phrased it better. I mean, it's just does it I, – I, I feel like you're a big believer in not getting caught up in paralysis by analysis, but you have every single number you could possibly look at, right? So does it – that time does it allow you to dig deeper into those numbers do you try to maybe focus more on on individual hitters i mean that there's a little extra time and i know we got to be smart about not wanting to wear people out but how how do you personally jt is that more film study for you is that more one-on-one time when you have a few extra hours yeah so um it's a, that's a really good <laughs> good question what one of the things that we go into a game if we go into a series 
you don't have any looks on, on anyone. You don't know what they look like. You can only kind of go off the years prior. And like, so for instance, for Iowa State, we hadn't played them since 2019. So it's one of those things where you go into a game with, and you can just really only guess based on what you're looking at. Usually it's center field camera, um, ESPN video, or, you know, whatever it is. And you're just kind of putting together something. So then by the time that you play, you, you kind of know if what you're looking at matches up or if there's some things that you need to tinker with. So um, after game, you know, one, two, uh, you can kind of to change, not necessarily on your own study, but more on what the hitters are seeing, gotcha. kind of what they're um, talking about. So a lot of those in-game adjustments um, are coming from them. And they're, they've done a really good job of just becoming more aware and like really they've just become smart hitters and in, in knowing, uh, recognizing, and then preparing adjustments kind of moving forward. I've, uh, I've really kind of fallen in love with all the different outfield combinations you have because I, I almost get the sense now that you've got a plus arm with just about everyone you can have out there. Do you have a preference? And I know that, you know, obviously everyone works together with whom they want where and, and coach makes the final decision. But are you against a, a lefty in left field? Would are, are you okay with kind of the versatility and all these players being able to do everything? Do you have a preference on that front? So being married to a left-handed <laughs> left fielder, I cannot. And, and so here, here's what was so funny is, you know, we were kind of talking about that as a staff, and I brought up a video of Andrea gunning a ball down the line. She comes up, guns the runner out at second So in the World Series. So I was like, hey, left-handed left fielders can work. It's not – I'm not necessarily opposed to it. Um, you just got to be super athletic. So I'm not allowed to be, you know, a knock on that. So I'm just a fan of whatever works. And I'll whatever tell you, works. you know what works to me? Uh, two things that have – Jada Coleman in center field and what Jada first started obviously realizing, hey, I might have to play some outfield early on with Team USA – during the offseason. And then, you know, Taylor Snow, I know she's shifted to first base a little bit, but you used her in right on Sunday. I guess there's a part of me that didn't really understand the cannon that she had, too. You've got some plus arms out there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I know a lot of that has to do with them playing infield. And they just <laughs> get the ball out and they just, you know, let it rip. So um, they got those, those shortstop arms that we've been uh, – and you wouldn't think, you know, lefty – Lefty would have a um, shortstop arm, but yes, she uh, she can sling it. Yeah, all right. Uh, this has been a weird year in the Big Twelve. You know, it's following Oklahoma State beat uh, f- lost to Kansas in the first game. The Jayhawks then uh, lost the next two, so we got Kansas coming in. I know uh, Texas had to score five to rally to beat South Dakota. It's just been kind of unique, but it doesn't change anything. This team is is focused on its goals. With all that in mind. What have you seen um, from Kansas? What do you guys expect? You're getting a first look at them after not seeing them last year, obviously, kind of like you brought up on Iowa State. But what, what do we know so far about the Jayhawks coming in this weekend? Well, just their – I mean, their head coach, um, Jennifer McFall, she used to be an assistant here. And uh, she has that Olympian uh, – that Olympic blood in her. So they're, they're scrappy. They fight. They're a good team. And the whole conference is good this year. Yeah. And – that's what's been what's been kind of tough is with the RPI kind of being, uh, you know, just in a weird place. Uh, you, I don't know if if people in the conference have been getting their due respect, but um, I was like, I know Iowa State's a tough team. Kansas is a is a really good team, and um, they they can pitch. They have 
they have a, a, a really good top-heavy staff. They're, they got two lefties that, that are really good, um, and they battle at the plate. So um, it'll, be a good, um, it'll be a good matchup for us, and it, it's just one of those things where we're just excited to compete again. Is uh, Are we getting close to a Grace Gasso birthday? Because everything seems to revolve around the Iowa State series for my uh, remembrance of uh, when Grace was born. But are we getting close to that? That's uh, Sunday. Ah! There's a, a nice little Easter birthday coming up. How about that? Yeah. Look, I knew I was getting close to it. Well, happy birthday, Grace. Yeah, All right. She, she reminds me every day. <laughs> That's great. All right, buddy. Well, I'll uh, see you out there on Thursday, man. Have a, a great Wednesday prep and appreciate you always finding time for us. Yep, same. Thanks, Plank. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, women's gymnastics on its way to regionals Saturday night, 7 o'clock prime time in Tuscaloosa. Meg McDonald caught up with KJ Kindler. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our Sooner Vision Studios. Meg McDonald joined by the head coach of the Oklahoma women's gymnastics team, KJ Kindler. KJ, it is postseason time. From here on out, every competition matters. Going back to Big 12s, the first time in nearly a decade this team doesn't take the Big, Te- Big 12 title, but it's such an insane run that this program has been on in terms of winning a conference championship every single year where that's the expectation. Can you name one of your favorite Big 12 championships or one of your favorite teams that won a Big 12 title? I think it was here at home at the beginning of my career here at Oklahoma, and I can't even tell you what year it was. It might have been that first on that list. Um, And we were on vaults, and Kiara Redmond, if you um, remember her, Kiwi we called her, she basically had to stick her vault, and so did Melanie Root, like both of them. And I remember saying uh, to Melanie, don't stick. I want you to take a step back. Because sometimes when she tried too hard to stick, it would be. And then, of course, she stuck it because I told her not to. (laughs) And then Kiwi went running down and just, like, stuck her solid. And what was so great about her, she was a great gymnast, but her reactions and responses to her performances were, like, off the chart. So... Um, just seeing her reaction, and, and they want—they were—they were very excited. Yeah. This team starts on bars 49-5 to start off this competition. Were you pleased with how they began this meet? Oh yeah. I mean, we started off great. The the execution was good. The angles in the cast, the the landings were good. Um, yes, I I was very pleased. Also, we weren't sure if Audrey Davis was going to be able to compete, so we warmed her up, and she seemed appeared fine and and was wanting to do it. So. Uh, we went for it, and then, of course, she stuck her dismount. So, yeah, I guess she was ready. Just a freshman, she wasn't in the bar lineup for about two weeks leading up to this competition. Anchors it, 995, so impressive. How is she able, or what do you see from her, to be able to bounce back like that and put up a huge number? Honestly, she, she just loves the sport. She wants to be out there. She thrives on competition. It's the part of it that she loves. Um, she, I've always said this about her. She's very joyful when she's out there. Like she wants to be out there with every fiber of her being. So I think that's it. You know, she just she loves to compete. Moving to beam, Olivia Troutman back in this beam lineup. Unfortunately, makes a mistake. But how confident are you in Olivia's abilities to put up a really good beam routine? Well, yeah, this was her first mistake in her career on beam, <laughs> and uh, she hadn't had a lot of numbers in, but it was still something that I felt was important to do as a coach is to get her out there before the postseason. 
uh, started regionals, nationals, and those high um, pressure moments. So um, I'm still confident in the decision, to be quite honest with you. Olivia's a gamer. She's super strong mm -hmm. mentally. And uh, we've been working really hard the last two weeks, putting her under unusual pressure. And she's been responding well. So looking to the future, we expect her to start us off uh, in the postseason as well. This beam team just rebounded, put up a 49-4 on that event. What did you see from them in terms of rebounding after a mistake? Well, the last four performers were nearly flawless. Um, no wobbles, no steps on their landings, uh, bringing in 995s, 99s. Like, to be able to do that after a, a rocky start is tough, but um, they were very dialed in and they were very aggressive. That's the thing I think on beam that you need. If there's a mistake that you can still go out there and do your routine the way you want to do it, not um, you know, try to succeed so hard. So I think that that's what made the difference. They just went out there and did their, their routines. Moving to floor exercise, one and two were fantastic, which Jordan and Evie have been so great all year long. There was a huge delay before Emma LaPinta. She ended up responding well with it, but what was that delay about? Um, there were about, it was about 10 to 12 minutes that Emma had to actually wait before she went. Um, and it was a judges conference on Vanessa's routine because she did something unusual in her leap series and everyone had a different start value. And so when that happens, the head judge can call a conference um, for an impossible start value. So that's what happened, but the conference was very long. Um, it definitely uh, was a long wait for our team, for the rest of our team. Um, to finish. In fact, I think all the beam routines were completed by the time Emma actually went. So um, we have to handle that situation better if it happens again. It's obviously beyond our control. Um, and uh, we obviously want the judges to get the right score, but of course the flow of the meet was interrupted and, and we have to be ready for that next time. How do you prepare for a weight like that, if at all in practice? I mean, 10 to 12 minutes is really a little too long, but how do you prepare for something like that? Yeah, they just have to stay warm, like you said, and, and honestly, mentally, they kind of have to disengage. You know, you can't just be standing there on the edge of saluting for 12 minutes straight. And I think, you know, you're never sure how long that conference is going to last. So that's also something you have to manage because if it's shorter than you anticipate and you've been jumping around and you, you could actually be tired going into that routine. So um, honestly, you just, I, I would never expect a conference to be as long as it was in that moment. You know, maybe you're thinking three minutes at the most, but um, it was unusually long and, um, I don't know that we handled it as best as we could. Were you telling your athletes anything in that weight? I told them to bounce on the floor, which I'm not sure if that was legal or not. <laughs> but to bounce, tuck jumps, and do some things on the floor. And I was telling that to also the people behind Emma because they also were waiting just as long. Um, and they did a little bit of that. But again, we weren't, we weren't sure how long that conference was going to take. And so we did it a little bit, maybe not enough. Despite everything that has happened in the year of 2020, in the year of 2021, a global pandemic, injuries, illnesses, this Oklahoma women's gymnastics team is still the number one seed heading into regionals. How proud are you of this team for being able to pivot and adapt 
each and every week. Uh, yeah, I mean, you said it. We're pivoting, we're adapting. Um, we've done a remarkable job. I mean, if you look at our lineups and um, the amount of people that we had out, uh, it's pretty remarkable what we've been able to do week after week. Um, but we are getting to our strongest point. I feel like we're the healthiest that we've been, with the exception of not having Reagan on floor. We're probably at our healthiest walking into regionals, so that is definitely a bright spot. Um, we have a lot of strong um, minds out there, which I think is hugely important at this time of the year. And I, we're just excited to have the opportunity to get out there and, and show them how good we really are. You know, I think we've been doing a lot of damage control this season, as you mentioned, but um, we're still in a great spot. We put ourselves there. Kudos to these athletes for putting themselves there. Even, you know, through all the hills and valleys and, and whatever you want to say from the season. And so now it's our chance. So regionals has been announced. The field has been announced. OU heads to Alabama to compete against Alabama, Auburn, Arkansas, Missouri, Iowa State, Iowa, and then either Mich Eastern Michigan or Maryland. For people who haven't seen the interview with you from the selection show, what are your thoughts on this field? Yeah, I mean, it's a great field. Uh, I'll say Iowa's probably having their best year since early 2000s. You know, the, uh, they're phenomenal on floor. Um, they're very athletic. So I would say vault and floor are really their strongest points. Um, but they're a great team. Iowa State is having a great year, as we saw um, in Big 12s and, you know, throughout the season, hitting some of their highest scores in a long time in many years. Um, Arkansas also uh, ranked in the top 10. Um, Jordan certainly has her team together and ready to go. Also a team that's really strong on floor as well. Um, and then Alabama um, winning the SEC championship. Uh, they weren't favored going in. You know, Florida was favored. Um, but they put it all together on the right night. They have um, in some incredible freshmen on that team uh, that everyone can look forward to watching. Um, so, I mean, I haven't named everyone, but those are, those are some really great teams. I would venture to say it's the toughest field of the four uh, locations, and uh, it's going to be an awesome meet any way you look at it. Outside of the Tuscaloosa Regional, of course, this team is in it. What regional are you excited? I know you probably can't watch it because you'll be competing, but maybe to watch it back, watch highlights. What are you looking forward to from a different regional? There's a couple of regionals that I'm really interested in. The Athens regional, I think Georgia's really kind of the underdog there, but they're they're a home team player, you know, and they always do well at home. They're not seeded, so I think that makes them quite dangerous, you know. They have nothing to lose, so we'll see how they come out of that. But you also have Denver there. I'm excited for, you know, a, another Big 12 school to have that opportunity. They are seeded. Um, and then you have Florida, obviously, the number one seed, um, really, and, and in 2019 just missed out on the opportunity to go to national. So this is a big meet for them as well. Then you got West Virginia, which I think could be interesting with UCLA um, in there, uh, a lower seed than they normally are. But if, if UCLA hits on all cylinders, they're always tough to beat. You mentioned that the Sooners are getting healthier and healthier despite everything that this team has been through. Olivia is now back on a couple events. Will we see her on a couple more? Yes, yeah, she'll be an all-arounder for regionals, which is super exciting. You know, obviously, um, 
Olivia's like chomping at the bit. She can't wait to get out there. And uh, she's been waiting patiently for this heel to, to feel great, and it does. She has no soreness anymore, um, so we're feeling really confident about it. She will be doing floor, and she's been our anchor her first two years. I mean, anytime she was available to do floor, she was her anchor. Powerful double layout. I mean, just a really strong competitor. And obviously going in on beam, and she's been in on bars and vault now for a couple weeks. So, yeah, she'll have um, some increased duties this weekend. Will she be doing the double layout on floor? Yes. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. How so one of our um, athletes, Catherine, she said she's a kangaroo. <laughs> she makes that double layout look so easy. She does, and she is quick like that. It's not easy, by the way. For anyone watching, it's not easy. Um, more injury updates. How is Audrey Davis doing heading into regionals? Yeah, she'll be doing all three of her events as well. Um, she's recovered well. She feels great. So final question for you. Regionals will start this weekend. It will be a two-day meet from here on out. Do you tell your team, or I guess what do you tell your team in terms of those back-to-back -back competitions to compete well because both of them matter tremendously. Yeah, they do. Um, so we have had a back-to-back -back meet this year. A lot of programs haven't had that opportunity to even have two meets in one weekend. So I feel like we have done some preparation in the preseason. We've also competed every single weekend, unlike a lot of programs. So we are in a good rhythm and that to me prepares you for this kind of moment. Um, we are in the evening session. Uh, we were in 2019 as well. I'm still confused why the number one seed is in the evening session and given less rest, but hey, whatever, give it to us. <laughs> so um, we have to manage that really well. And, and you know, there's a lot of things that go into that recovery and we need to be really smart about it. Um, but honestly, it's going to be an emotional moment both nights. And you can never prepare for the emotional part of it, only the physical part. Um, so I think to keep, you know, really calm and dialed in and uh, be efficient on the first night in our warm-up in particular so that we're not um, using a lot of energy, both physically or mentally, um, and really kind of just having that efficient warm-up and getting that, getting through that meet, one, two, three, four, five, six. I think um, that's going to be key for us for the next night. And then the next night, it's like everything, anything goes. You just got to go. You got to go full bore, everything. Um, that's what it takes. So. All right, thanks to Toby. Thanks to JT. Thanks to KJ for hanging out with us here on the Sooner Sports podcast. All right. A lot of stuff to get to for the rest of the week. On Friday, we're going to drop a special edition to get you ready for the home baseball series against TCU. Brandon Zaragoza is slated to join us on the Sooner Sports Podcast. That'll be Friday. And uh, listen, I, I promised a, a football podcast and then Lon ended up retiring. So it kind of threw everything into a bit of a tailspin and I road trip to aim. So no excuses. But in addition to the Friday pod with Zaragoza, a very special Saturday podcast with Kennedy Brooks, Jamar Kane, David Aguebu, Jeremiah Cradell, and a lot of offensive line talk with Bill Beanbow. So, everyone, have a great start to your weekend. And until Friday's episode with Brandon Zaragoza, Boomer Sooner, everybody. This has been the Sooner Sports Podcast. The Sooner Sports Podcast is presented by Riverwind. 
home to a luxury hotel, fine dining, and never-ending rewards. Riverwind is still the one. And Allstate. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review however you listen. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Sooner Sports Network.